fellow gentlemen of the road. Oh, God, look what's turned up. My apologies, madam. I am happy to report that Lady Luck has smiled on me today. I hope it's a bottle of scotch. Not simply scotch, my Lancastrian friend. A mingling with the finest malts from the house of Justerini and Brooks. The names of no less than eight illustrious monarchs grace the label. Oh, a fine blend. Ah, yes, please. I might even shoot down to the country for the weekend, do a spot of poaching. What? International elevators are up. Uh, you should take the Times, you know. Much better coverage. I say, Bertie, what's your golf handicap? No clubs, old boy. Mustache. Appointment with my tailor. J&B Rear. The Scotch. With a touch of class. the bank at Monte Carlo. I know. Welcome to the Cinematic Void Podcast. Cinematic Void is a cult film series that hosts screenings in the Los Angeles area as well as virtually. I'm your host, Jim Branscombe, and joining me as always is... Hey, it's Nick Vance, Paranoid Futures on social media. You can find Cinematic Void on the World Wide Web at cinematicvoid.com as well as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and all major podcast platforms. If you want to support the Void, you can consider joining our Patreon. All right, you know... We're back again. This is, you know, in that new studio. It's it's pretty swanky in here, I'd say. Thanks. Yeah. I guess, you know, you would know that. It's I worked st- hard on it. You did. It's it's immaculate in here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> immaculate. So, I don't know. It's been a, it's, I guess it's been a month since we recorded it. Anything else been going on with you? I saw, uh, I saw uh, a buddy of mine who works at uh, Universal in the, I don't know, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe he doesn't, uh, I'm sure he keeps it from his coworkers. Yeah. You know, but like, uh, but you've mentioned it before. Have I mentioned on the podcast before? So I guess it's fair game at this point. Um, but yeah, a buddy of mine, uh, is in a Metallica cover band and they're, and they're sick. Metallica brought them on tour with them. I think they brought like a grip of, uh, Metallica cover bands and then just have them like, like open at like different venues, like all over the city. It was just like, there's just 10 Metallica's band playing this weekend i saw them friday up in simi valley i just had band practice out there so it was like hell yeah perfect opportunity to go see Metallica tonight and man they fucking rip dude i mean it's just so like note perfect you know like sometimes you see a cover band and people kind of inject like the way that they played their guitar into those songs or something you know what i mean it's just like you like maybe not rewriting a Part, but like kind of the my point is these guys like nail it like as if it was Metallica playing it maybe even like better because maybe Metallica probably fuck around you know they've been playing for whom the bell tolls for so long like they kind of, I'm sure they fuck around a little bit yeah you know like and that's and like not in a cool way <laughs> I mean I get that it I feel like cover being a cover band like a good cover band is like a rare art form it's tough man it's tough uh you know yeah, it's a, it's a rare art form. 
um, but you know, these guys are fucking pros, man. It's, it's fucking sick. It's, it's a, it's a sight to behold. Yeah. They're sick, man. Um, so I don't know. I did that a couple of days ago. Uh, my record is actually coming out next month. Cool. Um, the single drops on the third and I think the full EP drops on the 12th. Um, whatever it is, it's the Wednesday and then on Friday. I don't know. Do I'm not doing that math right now. Um, uh yeah it's gonna come out it's called double life i know we is the band name yeah i know we've promoted this before but like you know it's officially coming out because it's already been set in the we i he made me talk about it a really long time ago and i didn't want to i don't know if you remember that but now hey you get the double you get the <laughs> double promoted look at that look at that uh uh that's coming out um i've just been projecting all over the place been projecting to the egyptian um it's been fun cool i'm tired yeah i mean i'm tired i ran mystic river last night until almost 1 a.m sean penn just screaming a lot yeah that that is kind of that movie but like i actually like mystic river i haven't seen it forever i saw it you know i saw the theater when it came out uh i don't think i've watched it since but i do remember really liking it then i've actually i've gone to uh i've been going to like AMC's to see new film. This is a new thing for me that I'm trying out. Like maybe it's just so I can like kind of talk about stuff on the podcast. Even it's a little, little fodder here. It's like, I actually went to see something new, which is not a thing I do, but I saw poor things. I saw the holdovers. Uh, we're going to go see zone of interest this week, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, trying to check out the new shit, man. I, I kind of feel that too. It's like, you know, working for a movie theater and like, in order for me to kind of enjoy and separate, I feel like I have to go to a different venue. Yeah. Because if it's like someplace, you know, one of the three theaters that the Cinematheque runs, mm-hmm. I feel like my old like ADHD manager stuff flares up. Yeah. Like, oh shit, they need to fix the sound. The masking's off. Like, yeah. oh, oh my God. I mean, well, that, but now, now I then go to like AMC or even Lemley and, uh, and it's just like, oh, I guess they're just never going to, they're not going to bring the masking in. It's, I don't think they have masking. Yeah. I mean, I guess not. Right. It's, it's just, there's just nothing there. It's yeah. Now I'm just so I'm spoiled now, but then it's also not my problem. It's fine. Yeah. I, I sink into it after a while and forget that it looks like shit. Well, it, well, <laughs> I, it's, I, I do mind it looks like shit, but like, <laughs> sure. but the thing is, it's like, it's not my responsibility to fix it. Yeah. 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 And I, I don't feel obligated and it's just like, whatever. It's like, I remember I can't, I'm trying to think last time I went to like a, one of those theater chains and they play the like 20 minutes of fucking trailers mm-hmm. and they don't, you know, they'll play things like they'll play their scope trailers, but they'll have them like fucking completely window boxed and shit like that. Mm-hmm. It's just wild. <laughs> and it's like, man, this, this is sloppy as fuck. But then it's like, ain't my problem as long as the movie's playing fine. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I, I do. I, and it's also nice to go, uh, go just watch a fucking DCP somewhere because it's the same sort of experience where I'm not like, not that I'm necessarily like critiquing what they do, but it's just, it still just gives me like a uneasy feel. You know, I'm still, I'm a little too uh, mindful of the, the technicalities of it, you know? And it, it, yeah, it kind of fucks up the experience. Well, I mean, you know, I shouldn't be watching for the changeover. I I shouldn't give a fuck. 
I mean, I, I, I watch for the changeovers. Yeah. I mean, once you, I mean, everyone can say that fight club scene where it gets pointed out like, oh, that's where everyone, like, if you've had to actively look at it because you're making sure someone doesn't fuck something up or you're not, like, if you're actually projecting, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Once it pops up, it just automatically goes. Oh, I have a, yeah, now, I, at this point, I have a, it's a very, you ever, you, do you know about chicken sexting? <laughs> no, I don't know what the fuck that is. <laughs> It's like there are people in the world that uh, that like you know there's like baby chicks coming down on a fucking uh, I guess I'm probably talking about actually like mur- also I'm also talking about murdering animals right oh, now. Oh, I, I actually so, the, so you're like oh I do know what that is. Don't it, tell me about it. No, no, I do know what it is because it's going to go into my first point. We're going to talk about so because it was in the remember? It no, was, it was in the movie. <laughs> Which movie? Redneck Zombies. Man. They 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 were watching footage where they were doing like the sex like yeah but but there are people that uh be because they have to do it so quickly right mm-hmm. you know eventually it becomes like a, a sixth sense almost it's like you you're not even like seeing anything you just know mm-hmm. and it's like that's how changeovers are starting to feel to me is like uh, I can not even be paying attention to the screen and I see it pop up you know. I mean, when I'm watching a movie, I know it's a film print. I always get this keen, like, I don't want to say sick. It's, I've never projected. Yeah. So, but I've just, because years of working as a manager and you're watching shit because like, for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. you just kind of get that little like thing. that's like, I think it's coming up and then you see it. If it's been, you know, if a print's been plattered, um, it's going to have like this kind of artifacts towards the, the, yeah, the, the tail of the reel anyway. Yeah. So like you kind of get a sense that the changeover is coming because the print starts to look a, a little worse towards the end there. So there's a little, there's a little cheat for you. Yeah. Trust me. You know, don't look for those. I just, mean, just watch the fucking movie, man. Just do Just do yourself a favor is what I'm saying. <laughs> as much as I enjoy it, don't get me wrong. I'm like, man, I, I you know, it's, it's not ruining movies for me. But that's where, but that's what I was getting at was like, it's nice to go see poor things and like not give a fuck about anything, but just watching what's going on on the screen and, and taking the story in. I mean, there was years, or there was a good couple of years when I first learned editing where all I, if I watched a movie, all I could do was watch the edits. It sounds fucking brutal, man. And you kind of just have to train yourself like not to do it or be able to turn it off because sometimes it is valuable. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're like dissecting a movie and like, you know, because sometimes when we talk about movies, we're talking about the editing because it's really important. So you're paying attention to it. But mm-hmm. like, you know, it's the, the, the number the number one rule for watching a movie, regardless if it's a 35 millimeter print or a DCP, is not to have anything that takes you out of the movie. Mm-hmm. And one thing I've said before, I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but I've said it before is that if you're watching a movie and you're just commenting on like, oh, the cinematography or the edit, like if you're doing that real time. You're not yeah. in the movie. Yeah. You're not in the experience. And I think that's, you know, I think a lot of people are a little too hip into the knowledge of stuff now. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, if I can sit down and watch a movie and not want to like get on my phone or whatever, and just be immersed in it. That just, that's my happy place. Totally. And we'll definitely be talking about some of that stuff when we get to the rewatch and listen in a little bit of later on this podcast. But since you kind of inadvertently hint, hit on it or hinted on it, although, are you done? Do you have anything else you want to? I don't want to jump ahead. If I haven't done shit the past month. Okay. <laughs> so, because you mentioned that, like, the chicken sex test thing, yeah. um, that was a 
it was used as like background TV footage in a movie that we did commentary on. When did we do that commentary? Back in the summer? Something like that. Something like that. Pretty, I mean, came out pretty quick though. Yeah. So um, Nick and I did our first official commentary for a Blu-ray, which was Redneck Zombies. It's put out on one of those sub vinegar syndrome labels. And both being from Maryland, it's a, it's a regional zombie film for us and something we, you know, watched back in the day when it came out. So it was just really cool to get an opportunity to do that. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, I I wish they didn't put the word critical commentary. (laughs) Critical. Like, man, we're really just fucking hanging out. We, I mean, we, 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 we hit some points. We talked about Sean video and a little bit of Maryland film horror history and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But we definitely kind of start riffing at some point. Not that we were making fun of the movie or anything like that, but it was just like we had fun with it. Yeah. So I'll be if any of you happen to get that Blu-ray and listen to the commentary, tell us what you think. Because I would like to know because I will never listen to it again. There you go. And some other stuff that's been going on. Recently, did the Neon Maniacs screening. That I've been basically talking about for like, or been trying to do all year long, and turned out to be a fucking blast. Hell yeah! Had a, did a Q and A with producer Chris Arnold, some of the actors that played various maniacs in the movie. There's Joel Stephen Hammond. He played Slasher, or at least partway. Everyone that played a maniac that was on the stage played partial in the movie because that movie. If you know anything about Neon Maniacs, I can tell you how you can learn more here in a second but like you know they had a production shutdown so the, some of the monsters got recast along the way so i'm saying joel stephen hammond who played slasher mario valdez who played samurai and scott getzo who um played juice who is married to beth hart you know who beth hart is not off the top of my head she's kind of a she's kind of like a blues like i mean she's a she's a rock performer or whatever but mm-hmm. i think she might be a little older demograph than most people. I mean, she's not old, but like definitely more like, I don't say dad rock because I feel like it's it's just more like straight rock. Okay. And like, I, I just happen to know who she was and he's married to her and like her tour manager. So that was kind of cool. Like, I, I think Kellen was there. He's like, oh shit, is that Beth Hart? And I'm like, yeah. Wild, okay. So that was kind of cool. And like, everyone was super nice. It was a great Q&A. Um, shout out to Sean Farina, who... um. His dad was a producer of a movie. I had Sean out when I did Neon Maniacs years ago. He brought out um, Archer's Crossbow and a Mohawk Severed Arm. So he got on stage and he joined us for the Q&A for a bit, but it was a blast. And I have to give a special thanks to Steven Scarlatta, who is doing this podcast. He he did the um, Hodorowski's Dune documentary, did the okay. Sharksploitation documentary. He's um, currently doing a podcast that's been coming out, and it's called In the Shadow of Neon Maniacs. And he actually interviewed me for that series, and there's been four episodes, and I think there's a fifth one that's going to come out, and then it's going to take its season break or whatever it's going to do. And I've been on, I think, I've been on the first four. I don't know if I'll be, I, I think I'll be on the fifth just because of what the subject is. But you know, it was kind of cool because like I talked to him for a couple hours, and it's kind of funny to hear like things you talk about like getting put into other context and all that. But. The thing about Neon Maniacs, it's such a weird movie because of all the mystery and, like, no one ever really talking about how it was made. So he's basically figuring out how it was made and talking to people who never talked about the movie before. Crazy. So it's really cool. So, And, like, yeah, I'm plugging it because I'm on it. But it's I'm learning shit that I never knew. So definitely check it out. It's, you know, we're all fine podcasts are. And speaking of podcasts, I'm going to be... Doing one that you were on previously, which is going to be Boys Bible Study. 
That's going to be coming out, I think, beginning of 2024. For those of you who don't know, Boys Bible Study, we talked about it on the podcast because you went to their screening they hosted for the Cinematech, like Friends of the Cinematech podcast, whatever that was. Yeah. So they basically take religious movies and do very in-depth critiques on them. They might take the piss out of them. Or they might be earnest. I don't know. It's up to your interpretation. But I'm going to be on there, and we're actually doing a giallo because it's going to. This episode is going to come out for January, so they're like, we'll do a religious giallo for you to be on. So, I'm not going to say what movie it is. You just got to wait for that to come out. But I'm excited to do it. Let's have those guys on some sometime as well. We should. Um, yeah, we definitely <clears throat> need to do that. We need to actually have guests on, and we got to figure out. It's been, it's been a while. It's been a while. I mean, I know I've done those like film programmer ones. But no, we should have like full on homie episodes again. Definitely. So we'll we'll figure that out in the new year. Uh, another podcast that I'm going to be on at some point. Um, Jacob Davison, who we work with at the Cinematech, he's got a new podcast he's co-hosting called the Hollow Rewind Podcast, talking about movies that take place on Halloween. I think maybe that's the whole premise. Um, they're going to have me on for I think on a panel for a movie, which again, gotta wait for that to come out to see. But just hyping. Hyping ahead. Uh, other things did. Uh, my girlfriend came to town. We went to a wedding. We went to Amalie and Brandon, who are very nice people. Amalie does on Poltergeist and Paramore. Or is it Paramore? It's Poltergeist and Paramore. Fashion line, and Brandon's a filmmaker. Really nice people. Had a nice wedding at a Elks Lodge in Van Nuys. It was Christmas-themed. So it was. I, I don't think I've been to a wedding in years. And it was just, it was, it was a nice time. Ran into this bunch of people I knew, and nice to have Leslie in town. We did a little things. We went to, I wanted to go take her to see Bella Lugosi's grave, but that cemetery's closed on Sundays. Hmm. Is it a Holy Cross? Yeah, it's Holy Cross. Okay. Uh, I can't. Darby Crashes. And Is he there? Darby Crash. Um, no shit. Uh, Sharon Tate. Yeah, I'm trying to think what the Is t- it right in Culver City? Yeah, I think Sharon Tate's right next to Bella Lugosi, or maybe it's Rita Hayworth. I can't remember. Yeah, Culver okay. City. Okay. I couldn't th- I couldn't think of Culver City just the same way. <laughs> like, you know, that town starts with a C. I don't know. But we end up going to Forest Lawn, which I've never been to. Okay. I, me either, actually. Yeah, and just like we kind of walked around. We didn't do a big thing. I actually filmed some of it, but um, found Lemmy from Motorhead's grave, mm-hmm. Dio's grave. Couldn't find Matthew Perry's, like I wasn't on Mark, but uh, Betty Davis, um, I think um, Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds and stuff like that. Okay. We just, we weren't really like searching, searching. It was just like things we came across. So Nice. And, you know, it was a, it was a fun weekend. And I don't know, I'm bringing this up because this was a random text message from her like maybe a week or so ago. She's like, you know what I hate? Krampus. Not the movie, just that whole, that Krampus stuff. And I was like, well, I love you. And I fully agree. Yeah. I I just recorded some for a Cinematis movie that will probably be out before this. But, like, I just, I feel like Krampus, I know it's an old German folktale or something like that. It's been hundreds of hundred years old. But, like, I feel like the last decade has been Krampus madness. <laughs> and I don't know. It's just like. Was it a, was it uh, Mike Doherty that did the Krampus movie? He did the Krampus movie, but there was Krampus bullshit before that. Yeah. And I think there's yeah. a bunch of like DIY stuff. Like it's it's been in the zeitgeist, and like yes, again, it's an old folk tale, folklore, or whatever. But like 
let's be real here. I know there's a lot of Christmas horror movies, and there's probably more movies that take place on Christmas that are horror movies. However, I think the reason why it's so much is because you're subverting a holiday. With Krampus, you're trying to, like, Christmas is always hard. And just, like, I don't know. It's, my beef is, it's like, Christmas is not Halloween. Stop trying to make it Halloween. Spooky season two? Well, yeah, it's... Do you remember Santa Claus, the movie that came out as a kid? I think Dudley Moore was in it, and he played an elf. John Lithgow was the villain. No. I remember seeing that as a kid. Um, I know, I think Phil Blankenship has a print of it, but, like, I can't remember who plays Santa Claus. But, like, at some point, like, they're like, we're going to just make Christmas, too. So I feel like, I don't know. This is me being, get off my lawn, but it's like, I want horror Christmas. I know a lot of that started with probably like Nightmare Before Christmas, mm. where that that whole thing is, and it's just I don't know, man. It just I I think Krampus is all it is is just a big smelly Bigfoot, right on. And I don't know, it's not scary, and I just don't care. So that's me taking a stand anti Krampus. Fuck, fuck you, Krampus. Yeah, fuck you, Krampus. What are you gonna do? I don't know. I, I just feel like, you know, let's just keep Christmas for what it is, which is a holiday where you're supposed to get shit and buy people shit. It's Christmas. Is it, uh, does, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't even want to know. What the fuck, this fuck is up with Krampus? I mean, what does he fight, Santa? No, he's just like, I guess he Because that, that would be fucking hilarious I, if, Santa had a, if Santa had a fucking nemesis. <laughs> well, it was like a WWF style thing. Yeah. Like, oh, here comes Krampus. It's Krampus's music. <laughs> he just comes out and fucking like lariats fucking Santa Claus. Hell yeah. Puts him in a camel clutch or something like that. Like he's the Iron Sheik. Actually, I would, if that was how it was, sign me up. Yeah. But it's not. I think Krampus is just like, you know, if the kids are bad, he's supposed to like kidnap them or eat them or whatever. At least it sucks. Yeah, yeah. it's just like, dude, why, 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 you know, is he also a pedophile? Is that what it is? Christmas is about Jesus' birthday and getting fucking presents and not some fucking goat man. Goat man. <laughs> trying to fucking eat a kid. Yeah, it's just like, I guess it's like a... Get that shit out of here. It's a proto-chupacabra or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't fucking know. I don't know. It, it, Bigfoot, chupacabra. It's it's some fucking cryptid. And it's just like, it's it's not the cool cryptid. It's not the Loch Ness Monster. It's not the fucking Mothman. Yeah. So Krampus can go to hell. I don't know. I guess that's where it is. And um, so for this episode, we are going to be doing a jam-packed thing because the recording schedule is going to be tighter because you're working a lot. Next month, I'm going to be fucking busy. And, you know, it's I think we'll probably be doing the podcast monthly is my guess. Seems to be the way it's going to be working. So we're jam-packing what would probably be two episodes normally into one super episode. And we're going to be talking about, or we're going to do a yearly favorites list. We're going to be doing a little different this year. Normally we alternate. Nick does music and I do Blu-rays. But Nick's like, you know what? I'm a movie guy too. I don't want to just do music. So we're going to flip the script and we're just going to. I don't want to talk about either of those things. Of course not. Why, why would you do the premise of the podcast? <laughs> yeah, I got something totally different planned. Fuck that. <laughs> just gonna, of course you do, you fucker. God damn I, I Movies and music. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, you're gonna, what are you going to talk Good about? Good Lord. Are you going to talk about Fabergé eggs or something? Maybe. I don't know. 
You ain't got you got a list. I know you got a fucking list. The other thing I know about Fabergé eggs is cereal mom. <laughs> I mean, that's all you have to know. I, I I think it's that in that episodes of The Simpsons where um <laughs> Bleeding Gums Murphy had an addiction to Fabergé eggs. Okay. I, he, like, I, I don't remember. He spent all his money on that. That I don't even know what the fuck a Fabergé egg really is. It's like a baseball card for middle-aged housewives in the 80s. I guess. It's either that or there's little like spoons you can get from every state, like the collectible <laughs> spoons. Hell yeah. I don't know. We're getting way off topic here. What? Where was I getting at? All right, 2023 fa- favorites where Nick may or may not have lists for shit. And the other thing we're going to be talking about because, hey, next month's January. And you know what that means. It's January Giallo. So we're going to be talking about the 2024 lineup. Just made some announcements. I mean, not just made some announcements. By the time this comes out, the announcements have been long out. But you remember that surprise where I said January Giallo is either going to be really great or really, really great or whatever I said? Well, it's really, really great. And we're going to be talking about it when we return after these messages. Viewer's Choice presents Bob Weir and Terry Garcia of Grateful Dead. Hey, Jer, what are you doing New Year's Eve? I'm not going to be in Times Square again. What are you going to do? I don't know. Let's have a party. Where? How about at your place? Viewer's Choice. New Year's, New Year's Eve. Eve. Stay home on New Year's Eve and get dedicated. Order Grateful Dead Live. The party starts at midnight Eastern, 9 p.m. Pacific. A special pay-per-view event from Viewer's Choice. Viewer's Choice. New Year's Eve. Welcome back. We are on the Cinematic Void Podcast, and we're going to be talking about the January Giallo 2024 lineup. And again, not only is this happening in Los Angeles, but it's going to be happening across the country like it has the last few years. And it's actually going to be happening on the Cinematic Movie because there's going to be a new episode every Saturday in January. And all those episodes will be Giallo themed. So if you're looking for a way to spend your January and you want to pull on those black gloves, pour that glass of J&B and, you know, sharpen up that razor, well, we got you covered here in the void. So I guess we'll talk about the big thing first, which is something that I've been working on since 2019 in different ways. And that is, you know, for January, you know, the dream is always to be able to bring an iconic Italian filmmaker over so we can, you know, really celebrate this. You know, there was an Argento De Palma year where I had a bunch of guests, but, like, I haven't had a filmmaker mm-hmm. in person. Actually, Chris Severson came out for, um, I know, Killed Me, and I love Chris and all that, but, like, you know, for the Italian end of it, it's like, wouldn't it be cool to get someone? Mm-hmm. And, well, this year, we have, and... You know, thanks to Music Box Theater, um, of course, the American Cinematheque. Uh, Sergio Martino's coming to the States for, I don't know if it's the first time ever, but it might be the first time ever. Right on. I can't, 
I haven't seen anything like I'm not saying that it hasn't happened, but like, yeah, he's coming for January Jallo. And not only that, he is also going to be ushering the Void's return to the Egyptian theater. Very cool. So for all the for everyone who's saying, hey, when are you going to be back at the Egyptian theater? Well, this is when I'm going to be back at the Egyptian theater. It's going to be on Saturday, January 20th, doing a screening, a double feature of Torso and the Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward. And Sergio Martino is going to be in person, and I'm going to be doing a Q&A with him. Fuck yeah, man. So cool. So, you know, I should get into a little origin of this. So, back in 2019, after I did the De Palma versus Argento year, which was kind of the year that kind of pushed January Giallo to the next plateau, as it were. At the time, we had an interim executive director who saw the success and was like, well, who could we bring over? And I made a suggestion. I was like, well, no one's really ever done Sergio Martino. He's in good shape. He's been around, and, like, he's made tons of classic Giallo films. He's also made, you know, tons of, like, you know, European cop movies. He's done comedies. He's done westerns. He's done straight horror. And he's like, okay, we're going to make that happen. And just never happened. And then, you know, pandemic and stuff. So... This is something that I've been trying to figure out for years, and I've pitched the Beyond Fest and all that. And through the homie William Morris, we, there was this woman in Chicago named Stephanie who had a contact, and you know, through her, we kind of like started getting the ball rolling to facilitate something. Ryan at the Music Box actually kind of got it over whatever hurdles need to be gotten over so we could actually make this reality. So at one point, we almost did this for Beyond Fest this past October. Like, it was on the cards, but, like, Martino needed to, like, go to the doctor and be medically cleared to fly because he is in his 80s. Okay. And he wasn't for October, but he got cleared for January. So that's how this is all happening. So it's – he's going to be in L.A. He's going to be at the Music Box, which I'll talk about when I talk about those shows. But, like, really, I think at the end of this q and I'm just going to take off my void jacket, put it on the chair, and just ride off on the sunset. Fuck. I mean, I don't know if I'll actually do that, but it's kind of how I feel like I should do it. And actually, I really can't do it because we'll get to that in a little bit. But, you know, it's, there's only other, there's only a couple other people like on that caliber that I could do. Like, you know, I, Dario Argento came from Beyond Fest maybe like five, six years ago. Mm -hmm. Like, that would be a big one. The other one is Edwidge Fennec. Right. Dude, she's still around. Like, I, those are kind of like, does, you know, does she do stuff? She doesn't, but like, you know, I've, you know, that might be changing, so who okay. knows? But, you know, I it took a little bit to get Mart you know, finally get Martino here. I mean, hell, we did a whole like two we did two episodes on him mm -hmm. for January GL. We you know, with our friend Scott Carlson of Repulsion. So it it's been it's been in the works for a while. So hey, never say never. And like, you know, I'm not saying I'm gonna retire at the end of this, but like it does feel like, you know, you want a perfect ending. Just get on my motorcycle like I'm the Undertaker in the last ride and just mm -hmm. drive off. <laughs> I don't know. But I'm, you know, I'm really excited for this. And also really excited that people are really stoked for this. Like, sold a lot of tickets when they went on sale. Fuck yeah. And it's definitely going to sell out. I mean, I wasn't expecting instant sellout because, you know, that's just the nature of these things. Mm -hmm. But it's doing well. And, like, I, I think it's still just creeping out there. So... Yeah, that's, I mean, I could just stop there and be like, that's January Giallo, but there's a whole lot of coming up, and there's even more at the Lost Fields 3. So, I guess this is going to be the third year I've done 
a grip of these at the Lost Fields 3. That's basically how I started ended up doing weekly shows anyway, but it was because of the January Giallo 2022. And this year, I'm going to admit there's some DCPs in there. And if people are asking why, it's like, well, we're bringing over Sergio Martino. And, you know, it's like, it's not cheap to do that. So I, I wanted to do like a, a really great lineup because sometimes I don't show titles because there's no film prints. And like, this was an excuse for me just to show film films that I really love that I haven't seen prints prints of, or if the prints are out there, they're not in great shape or they're hard to get. So I'm definitely did some DCPs, but like, you know, three out of the five movies are still on 35 millimeter. Uh, starting New Year's Day, the first, we're going to be doing your vice in the locker room and only I have the key. Cool. Martino banger. Like, one I've been wanting the screen forever, and just, like, it just kind of made sense. It's kind of like the appetizer before you get to the full torso Mrs. Ward meal on the 20th. Right on. On the 8th, at a special 10 p.m. slot, not the normal 7, going to be doing Lucio Fulci's The Psychic, which is kind of a later era. Giallo came out in 77, so it's, like, out of the prime of the late 60s, early 70s, but stars Jennifer O'Neill. It's, it's a really cool one. It's, you know, if I, I, lo- I think Fulci Gialli are really underrated. And I think they're all, like, fantastic. And this one, no exception. On the 15th, I think I mentioned this before, but I bought two film prints earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And there, I bought two Italian-language Giallo film prints. And this one is one of those two prints. I'm going to be showing my personal 35mm of The Killer is Still Amongst Us. It is in Italian, so it's going to be soft subtitle. But, you know, I... I kind of just like the idea, like, you know, investing in, I mean, I'm obviously invested in it, but like, you know, buying films so I can actually screen them. Mm -hmm. It's kind of just taking it up a notch. So we're going to be showing my personal 35. It's from the 80s, so wouldn't be faded. I know Ben actually did an inspection on it, Mm -hmm. kind of made it a little bit nicer. So it's a pretty good print. So I'm I'm excited to show it. On the 22nd, I'm going to be showing a old Giallo favorite. And I'm actually not going to be in person for it. And I will get to why a little bit later. Uh, I'm going to be showing Amok, which, you know, Barbara Boucher's in it. Uh, one of the great sexy Giallo films. Okay. This is going to be a Grindhouse print. So everyone worried about, like, where's the Grindhouse print? I don't know if anyone's actually saying that. But if you're looking for one print that's probably going to be red and scratched, Amok is the screening for you. And it's selling well. Nice. And then to close out January, I did another kind of oddball Giallo Jason pick. I feel like that's just the way to go from now on. So I wrote one of the distributors, Park Circus, because they have a bunch of weirdo like Giallo Jason titles. And I just wanted to see what they had prints of. And they came back with two. And I kind of went with this one because it's just weirder. It's a Canadian production. It's called Stone Cold Dead. It's basically about a serial killer who wears black gloves, but he's sniping hookers. And it stars Paul Williams. Yes, Paul Williams who wrote The Rainbow Connection that's in Phantom of the Paradise. He plays a pimp. Cool. And it's fucking weird. (laughs) (laughs) I think Richard Crenna is the star. He plays a cop. And I, I think one of the notes, Richard Crenna, like one of the things Richard Crenna didn't understand why they were pretending the movie wasn't set in Canada he didn't understand they were trying to market to a bigger, you know, market. It's like, why, why, why are we, this is Canada. Why are we pretending something else? They're like, no, no, no. It was just, yeah. <laughs> so there, there's a little bit of that. So that is the Lost Feelers 3 lineup. Um, I think it's pretty solid. It's a little different. 
you know. Again, not doing Argento this year at, for any of my screenings. Like, this would be the second year I haven't done it, and I still got a few Argentos left in the bag that I haven't done. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, you know, Ed, this is like the seventh. Actually, I think this might be the eighth. Two th- yeah, not counting the pre-Cinematic Void, the one I did for Rendezvous. I think this is like the eighth like lineup, including the pandemic lineup. So Wait, who directed The Psychic? The Psychic's Lucio Fulci. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I, for some reason, I I think I I somehow always thought that that was Argento. No, and I've not, I've never seen it. Also, yeah. but uh, it, it it's Fulci it has a fucking cool. top tier dummy drop in it. It's mm-hmm. um it's a it's partnered well with the um don't torture a duckling one. Nice. Whereas duckling kind of ends with a du- dummy drop. This one starts with a dummy drop. Very cool. And I always like appreciate it. Fulci would put squibs on his dummies. Very nice. Because you need exploding facial flesh. Absolutely. Fulci, he's the fucking king. Um, but yeah, that's Lost Fields three. I am stoked for it. I'm actually really stoked to see Stone Cold Dead in the theater because it's like I just love it's. It was sort of like finding a thirty five millimeter print, or not really finding, but the distributor saying, "Yeah, we have one of like Night Game." Yeah, it's just one of those weirdo like fuck it. No one has probably played this in forever. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That that's the stuff that gets me excited for. So. We're going to move on to the Music Box, which, you know, programmed by the Music Box of Horrors, my good friend William Morris. He's put together a pretty stellar, interesting lineup. Uh, they're also going on Mondays this year, but they're only doing the first four, not all five. Uh, they're kicking things off with the Paul Nashy starring House of Psychotic Women. Obviously, the namesake of Kayla Janice's book. Um, it also goes by the title Blue Eyes for the Broken Doll, which is... You know, one of the great, like, Spanish Gialli. And they're showing a 35mm print. I showed this year two of um, January Gialli. I showed it with, what have you done to Solange? What have they done to Solange? And, yeah, it's a good way to kick it off. They, I, I like everyone's lineup. Like, it's kind of interesting. You'll see a few of the ones that are repeated between the venues. On the 8th, they're showing a new restoration by Severn Films. A film I actually haven't seen. It's called Closed Circuit. Hmm. It's like, I'm... They're getting, I think it's one of the movies they dropped during their Black Friday thing, along with all the Michele Suave releases. I, you know, trailer looks cool. I haven't seen it, but, you know, kudos to Will for, like, slotting it in there and just kind of giving January Giallo a different look in Chicago. Cool. On the 15th, they are going to, one of the one of the many venues that are showing this um, French Giallo called The Strangler. I think Altered Innocence is putting this out. It's curling on I think they did a little bit of a theatrical run at the end of, or doing one end of this year, but a lot of the venues have picked this up for their January Giallo. So I haven't seen this one either. Yeah. Trailer looks cool. I might, I don't know if I'll do it for January Giallo. I might just play it sometime next year just because. Mm-hmm. And then on the 22nd, Chicago will also be blessed, graced, however you want to put it, with the iconic genre filmmaker, Sergio Martino. He will be there in person for a screening of Torso. And I'm actually going to be doing that Q&A too. So I, I'm actually going to miss one of my shows in L.A. because I'm going to fly out and do the Martino Q&A in Chicago as well. So I don't know. I'm stoked to have that opportunity to, you know, talk to a fucking legend like that for yeah. two in a row. Real sick. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm now thinking like, shit, I got to figure out how to make these 
Q and A's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that they need to be super different, but like you know, mm-hmm. make it interesting for both of us. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, there's gonna be questions. They're gonna be retread between the two screenings, but like you know, just I don't know. I I kind of put it up there with like doing three Q and A's almost in a row with Jonathan Kaplan and just figuring out like you know fresh ways to talk to the person about you know filmmaking, mm-hmm. their films, their careers, and stuff like that. So really excited for that opportunity um, coming up on the fifth of January in Salem, Massachusetts at Cinema Salem. I'm going to be there in person to do an introduction for Dario Argento's opera. Very cool. First of many Argentos will be popping up in the lineup. Just because I'm not doing Argentos here doesn't mean elsewhere people are doing. So um, I talked to Kay about this when she was out here for Bram Stoker's Dracula. I might have talked about it a little bit with the cell, but like, yeah, it just kind of worked out because... I'll also be at the Coolidge that weekend for their January GL kickoff. So basically on the 1st, I'm going to do your vice here, fly out on Friday morning, go to Salem on Friday night, Coolidge on Saturday, back to L.A. on Sunday. Mm -hmm. (sighs) I'll be doing a lot of neck-breaking flying, but, you know, as of right now, I think I'm just going to Boston and Chicago, as far as I know. Right. That might be for the best for this year. Yeah. So I mentioned the Coolidge. So Coolidge has a really cool lineup. Actually, this was probably the first lineup that got locked in. I was talking to Mark Anastasio. You know, he's I think the head of programming now at the Coolidge. He got a got a title upgrade or whatever. And so they had they've been expanding at the Coolidge, and like I think he's hoping that one of their new like theaters can be like the showcase to kick things off. They have a theater that's all red. And they call it the Red Room. It's like a 200-seater. It's digital, all digital, like, projection. But, like, it looks sick. Hell, yeah. So, hoping we can do, like, some of January Jail in there. I I think we might be trying to do a sneak preview of in that room because I think they still have to get the fire marshal to, like, clear everything. Mm -hmm. You know, rules and regulations. But I will be there in person on Saturday, January 6th, for a screening of Deep Red. You know, it's I if I think of two quintessential Gialli films that if you want to know where to start and see the best of the best, it's Deep Red and Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. I think Deep Red, like, you know, I probably maybe like Tenebrae slightly better, but I think as a Giallo and I think as an encapsulation of everything Argento did before it, which is his animal trilogy and even his the the five day five days in Milan or of Milan, his like weird historical comedy thing it all kind of coalesces into like deep red. So it's, it's a classic. Um, Mark is also going to be showing the psychic on the 13th. And he will also be doing your vice is a locked room. Only I have the key on the 20th. And then the Coolidge is going to close out their January Jallo on the 27th with Michele Suave's stage fright. <laughs> and then we're going to move over to Denver and our friends at Denver film and scream screen. Shout out to Keith and Teresa, who have both been on episodes of the Programmer podcast. And they've come up with a pretty cool lineup also on Saturdays in Denver. They're going to be kicking things off on the 6th with A Blade in the Dark, which was a movie I showed in the Giallo Marathon I did in 2020. I showed um, Harry Guerrero's like, Italian Language 35 of it. They're doing, uh, Teresa's going to be hosting this one, and she's showing um, Vinegar Syndrome's new restoration of it. So Cool. It'll be sick. On the 13th, Keith, Keith is hosting a screening of that French Gialli, um, The Strangler. 
On the 20th, Keith is back again showing another Giallo Jason film that we talked about on that Giallo Jason episode. I forget what number it is, but just search Cinematic Void Podcast, Giallo Jason. We talked about some good shit like images in this film, which is The Eyes of Laura Mars. And then on the 27th, Teresa and Scream Screen are closing out Jangry Giallo in Denver at the with Barbarian Sound Studio by Peter Strickland, which, have you ever seen that one? I haven't. It's a really fucking great movie. I love Peter Strickland in general, and like, this one's a, I don't know, it's fucking great. And if there's one, I, I don't know if I can make Denver, but if I do make Denver, that's the one I'm going to probably fly in for, but... To be determined. I just got to see where I'm at and how dead I am by the end of the month. Yeah. Really. Um, joining us once again is the Little Theater in Rochester and Anomaly Film Festival. They come back with another great lineup. They're alternating on Thursdays and Fridays every other week. And they're going to be kicking things off with, you know, not the first Giallo, but probably the one that popularized it the most in Italy, which is Mario Bava's Blood and Black Lace. On the 12th, they're showing one of my personal favorite Gialli films, which is The Red Queen Kills Seven Times. I think they had to go to Italy to clear rights on it. So, good on them. And on the 18th, they're going to be showing The Strangler as well. And then on the 26th, they are closing things out with the movie The Coolidge is starting with, which is Dario Argento's Deep Red. And so you're you're not going to be at these, but are you you're co-presenting them? Co-presenting them yeah. all, yeah. Very cool, man. Up next, um, our good friend Eddie, who used to be the Cinematic Void marketing manager, he now does his own programming series called Popcorn Reef. Uh, he's doing a January Jalous screening at the Tenth Arts Center in San Diego. He's going to be showing Dario Argento's opera and Cat Shea's Strip to Kill as kind of a Italian meets West Coast, you know, jelly mix up, and. Pretty sure I'm coming down for that. Just introduce opera or whatever. I'll tell you, hell yeah. So, very sick. Shout out, shout out, Eddie. Yeah, Eddie's doing some good work in San Diego. And if you're in that area, check out Popcorn Reef. They have a lot of screenings. Um, one I didn't write down here, but I just got confirmed. I'll be back at the Frida for my regular, um, um, what is it, bi-monthly um, residency I do there. I believe it's on, yeah, I think it's Friday the 26th. I'm going to be down there for a McKelly Suave double feature. So it's going to be half January Giallo, but really it's a Suave double. Uh, the January Giallo half will be um, Stage Fright. And then for the second half, I'm going to be showing, like, you know, one of the best movies ever made, which is Della Morte, Della More. Very so, sick. Hell yeah. So that's, that's down at the Frida on the 26th. And there's a couple other venues that haven't sent me the lineups yet, but, um, Central Cinema in Knoxville is going to be back again with the lineup. And once again, the Belcourt Theater in Nashville, Tennessee is also coming back. They're going to, I think, going to be doing two midnights sometime in January. So keep your eyes peeled for that lineup. And, you know, maybe some other venues will be popping up as well. So that is January Jallo 2024 as it is at this moment of recording. Could be expanding even more. And as I already mentioned, we will be doing Cinematis movies every Saturday at um, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. So if you're not any place where you can go see January Giallo in person in a movie theater, hey, you can watch it online and celebrate that way. So that is the lineup for now. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we return, we're going to be talking about our favorite things of 2023. Or at least maybe I will. I don't know what Nick's going to do. All right, we'll, we'll be back with more Cinematic Void Podcast. Enter the bizarre world of the psychosexual mind. From Carlo Patti, who brought you Dr. Zhivago, now... 
Torso. 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 It saturates the screen with terror. Torso. Rated R. Has been mocked for terror by a killer who leaves no clues. Has no motives. Only an insatiable desire for strange. Devilish kicks. His perversion knows no limit until... <laughs> what strange vice pushed this man to beautiful women and their throats? Slowly. Silently. Almost as if he were not there, and yet... going to be now talking about our favorite things some of my favorite things from 2000 some are our favorite things i should say from 2023 here on the cinematic boy podcast we do this every year nick had a complaint wanted to alter the format he's like i don't want to just be the music guy and i was like that's fair you definitely probably watched more movies in a movie theater than i have this year and probably actively watch more like art house and like serious cinema than i have this year so we're going to be doing this different. We're just going to be each throwing out a list of different things. I don't know how many Nick has. I don't. Think I, you went and got a stack of records, so it's going to talk about something. But I will actually go first. Okay. So it gives I you... A, I got a cat in a box over here, and she seems to be liking, making some noise in that box. Well, you know, that's what happens when you own a cat. Should I throw her off a mountain? No. Oh. She jumped. She, okay. Okay, here we go. All yeah. right. She, she was just playing in the box, man. It's, she, so we're just going to talk about some of her favorite things in list form. I don't know how much this go. I wrote stuff down. I think Nick's going to wing his, which might be a more honest way. Because when you get put on the spot, you might just give the more honest answer. Mm-hmm. Although I, I gave a lot of thought to these. Maybe too much thought. But like I just looked at my last FM stats. Think thought about the things I've listened to on repeat or went back to throughout the year. So I'm going to start with my favorite albums, not movies or Blu-rays, favorite albums, because like probably more so than films, I probably listen to music every single day right on. and a lot of it, whether walking to work in my car, working out, whatever. So I'm just going to go, you know, basically say my number one record of the year, hands down. And I think it's going to be yours too, is the Koyo would you miss it, LP? Great poppy, hardcore, whatever you want to fucking call it. Whatever you want to call it, it's the best record of the year. It's it's the record I've listened to the most consistently, where I just like throw it on and listen to the whole thing, and or like get obsessed with a couple songs and just listen to only those two songs for like a week straight. This definitely happened for this record. You yeah, know? it's it's a no skipper. 
And like, you know, if you just throw, if you get one of those songs stuck in your head, and even if you think you get tired of it, another song will get stuck in your head. Like, it's the record. It's just my go-to default record. Mm -hmm. Like, I haven't gotten tired of it or sick of it. And this is having seen them play this live. Yeah. It's just, it's just fucking good. And, you know, big ups to them because they, they're, I think they're on going to be on tour with on One Step Closer or something like that, but they're not playing LA. Hmm. That's some bullshit, but whatever. Um, Yeah, Koyo, would you miss it? Fucking record of the year for me. And thank you, too. Uh, My number two record, and it was close, but, like, what it came down to with this one was, like, the amount of tra- tracks I skip. Mm-hmm. And while I think this record might have my favorite song of the year flat out, okay, which is Tears for Two. Man, banger. It, there's a couple songs that just, like, they're not bad. It's just mm-hmm. I'm not feeling it. Dude, the, so. the two or three songs on this record that I like a whole fucking lot carry the whole record. They do. Um, but that's not to I, – I do think there's a song or two I skip. But, like, for the most part, the whole thing is – group's got a good sound, man. Yeah, they they are like what they call what they call themselves and they're like new alt or something like that for yeah. alternative whatever it yeah. is. But you know, it's ultralight, enjoy your time in the sun. Like you hit me to this record and it's just like it's fucking great. Yeah, man. I would love to have seen them when they played LA, but they kept moving venues, not their fault, whoever booked the show. There's one point that was going to be like right down the street from where we live, and I was like, Well, I can go to that. And yeah. I moved it to downtown LA and I'm like just took it to no man's land. Yeah. But seriously, this record's fucking great. Tears for Two is a, you know, that's my song of the year. And like, it, it's just the, I think just the consistency or just like, you know, I look at that Koyo record as a complete project where it's like, n- there's no weak link. Mm-hmm. And this one just has songs that just aren't for me or I don't feel as much. But like, I think overall, this was probably, it's definitely a record I listened to a lot. And probably, if you look at the stats, I probably have more listens than the Koyo record, maybe. Might be close, but, like, you know, I, I think it's, like, it's up there. Um, record number three, I actually kind of went back and looked at stuff and revisited stuff and listened to a lot of hardcore this year. Mm-hmm. It's been a year of it, and hardcore adjacent or whatever. But um, there's been one record, and I think this one is heads and shoulders above everything else. And one of the reasons is just it feels it's a complete project. It's another kind of no skipper. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not always in the mood for this, but when I am, it's like the perfect yeah. thing. And it's incendiary, change the way you think about pain. There's a lot of like real, uh, a lot of real dumb hardcore going on. And I think that these guys are, whereas like everything is just dumb and moshy and, and just like tough for being tough sake a lot of times. Like I love things like Pain of Truth and whatever, but like it has. It's a, uh, you know, whether those guys are living that lifestyle or not, like it's almost like rap music, right? It's just like they may not actually like be these like tough guys, but like that's the image they're portraying, right? But these guys are like thinking man's hardcore. Yeah. I mean, lyrically, it's probably top tier. Yeah. Like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Absolutely. Every, every window deserves a brick. And like, yeah. Just like there's sing alongs, but it's just like there's something dark to it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think it's probably because these dudes are a little bit older than most of the like, because they've been around longer. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like it's the fucking soundtrack to the end of the world, dude. Which we're all like, you know, you don't you don't know when you're you don't we don't we don't know for sure that we're living in the apocalypse. But if we are, it's like man, this record's straight up like you said, it's no skips. Like the fucking riffs, the lyrics. I mean, when when this this came out in like March and I was already yelling from the top of the fucking mountain, like this is my record of the year. 
you know and and it really i mean as far as like heavier shit goes it probably is yeah you know the thing that kind of like really solidified it like on my youtube algorithm audio tree which does like you know they pay bands to do like live sets the, like incendiary came up and it was yeah. like 40 minutes it's like did they just play a whole fucking set yeah because most people just do like 15 20 minutes on there mm-hmm. they're like no we have a mission i mean th- those guys were even uh two of the members were on the fucking like the jordan jensen uh ian whatever podcast like they're they're like on they're like going on good co- like comedy podcasts you know <laughs> <laughs> it's like dude how sick I mean, also the singer broke his arm during a oh, set. Oh, right, that that was the LA show, wasn't it? Yeah, he broke his arm, and he like said, "Hey, my arm's broken. Don't touch me. Let's just keep going." They played the they played the whole set, and then asked the guy that recorded it to not post it, and then posted it anyway. Uh, I don't think I think maybe some you know I mean people everybody's got their fucking cell phone out, but I think like I think it was like hate five six or something like they, it was like a pretty professional. Like high end, the I, guy I, that goes to every shows and records, yeah, and uh, and they were like, please don't post this one, like post the one from last night or whatever, you know. It it, it was still online. It was it it was definitely like the version I saw of it was like definitely like a far away, but it was like a locked camera. It definitely wasn't like a cell phone. Okay, but whatever. Like you know, the audio tree ones because they do Q and A's in between screen or screenings. Uh, they do Q and A's in between, like they do blocks of songs, whatever, and like you know. Some of those, like, Q&As are just fucking terrible. But, like, those guys gave some really good answers and just, like, kind of articulated, like, their mission. And the number one reason why this beat out all the other hardcore records, no fucking guest spots. Right. And, like, you know, if I have one thing I would, like, you know, kind of knock the Koyo record for, and it's not even really knock because they did it in a way where it wasn't as intrusive, like... They they had guest spots, you know. They had the yeah. dude from Glassjaw, the dude from Vane, guy mm-hmm. from Movie Life or whatever. Yeah, they definitely had a lot, but there's so, it feels so much more invasive when it's on like the fucking Pain of Truth record. It's like yeah, and I like that Pain of Truth record, but it just got tiring because it's yeah. just like, yo, dude from Vane, yo, fucking Justice from fucking like, like we, get, we get it. You have friends, of course you do. It's hardcore. Freddie from Madball, and it's just like <laughs> it. it re- and we talked about this before it reminds me of like rap records now we're yeah. like just loading up on guests and like i guess the thing is like hey if we have such and such on a record they'll get a a bonus play on that song or someone will put it on a playlist because of that mm-hmm. i think that's the mentality behind it and like that one thing the incendiary record was actually the dudes from incendiary i think are on that paint a true record yeah i think so but because there's no guest spots and it's just like it's a work of art and like mm-hmm. And I, I think the Koyo one kind of sidesteps even having the guests because it's just like, it doesn't feel, it, it feels organic. Mm-hmm. Where some of the other ones is like, dog, you brought all your homies to the studio and like, it's not even gang vocals. It's just giving someone like two or three lines. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the most hilarious one is the Code Orange Billy Corgan one. Mm-hmm. Although I feel like that's the ultimate like, oh, you all going to have guests? Yeah. And just like, we're just going to put Billy Corgan on a bridge, fucking record it on his, um, whatever it is, voice memo and send it to us or whatever. <laughs> I don't know if he did that. But yeah, but yeah that, I mean, that was the one thing. It's just like, I don't care about guest spots and hardcore. You know, you can have someone come in and do backup vocals. Like, I mean, it's not new, but just like the excessiveness of it. Mm-hmm. Like if it's for one song, but then it's just like, when you play this record live, it's not going to be the same because you have like, dude, Freddie from Madball is not going to show up every time you play this song mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't know. 
And that Pain of Truth record's good, but it's just, I think, you know, hardcore-wise, Incendiary, just, like, it is the thinking man's hardcore. It is, I don't want to say adult contemporary, but it's just, like, not that it sounds like Dead Guy or any of those kind of bands, but it's just, like, because there's something dark and just fucking mean about it, mm-hmm. and not in, like, tough guy, we're going to beat the shit out of you, bring her crew, like, these guys just feel like cold-blooded killers. Yeah. As opposed to, like you know, party gangs or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know where I'm getting at with this, but like, yeah, that record's fucking incredible. Uh, My number four record is, uh, was a lot of hip hop records that I was really drawn to this year. And it became, it came between this one and uh, the um, Arm and Hammer record that came out, which I thought was really interesting, which funny enough has, funnily enough has JPEG Mafia producing some tracks on, but I think overall, um, this is my favorite hip hop record of the year. And, it's a little avant-garde for what it is. It's um, Scaring the Hose. It's JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown. It's like somewhere between like Atari Teenage Riot, Godflesh, and like it's just weird and it's wild and like the use of sounds and all that. It's really cool. Hell yeah. And it's just like, I think because it's like definitely maybe more, I don't want to say rock or whatever, mm-hmm. but like, because it's not, it's not Sonic. I mean, but it's more in tune with like a punk or hardcore record than a rap record. Yeah. And another thing on this record, I don't think there's any guests. <laughs> Hell yeah. So shout out to them. And then the, my last record, and this one, I was kind of torn. There's a couple other things. Like there's that balancing composure single on um, Savior Mode, which I do think is probably maybe outside of Tears for Two, the best song of the year. Like Savior Mode's a fucking banger. It might be my most listened to song of the year. Oh, it's fucking fantastic. But I was like, it's only a two song EP and the other song's good, but it's just not, if that's, if the sec B side to save your mode was like on that same level, I think, yeah, I could make a case for a two song EP being my top five. Um, new Hayden record came out. I liked it, but like, but I just, I haven't revisited it and it's really good. Mm-hmm. It's not bad in any stretch of the man. I like yeah. it a lot, but it's just like, I just haven't been in like the folk mode. Mm hmm. And I don't know. I went with the spiritual cramp record, cool. Which was, you know, it's a self-titled record. We saw him with um Teenage Wrist and Heavenward, and I like both those records too. But like this one is just it's it's short, it's concise, it's catchy, cool. It's in and out. I think I listened to the the first couple singles when they dropped, but then when the full thing came out, I I never actually went back and listened to the whole thing. So I, I will have to do so. Yeah, it's like you know, it's it's really catchy post punk with like some little reggae and like electronic influence and all that. Cool. And, like, I like them playing live. It's like, yeah, this is really cool. But, like, this one kind of snuck up on me because, like, sort of like that Koyo record. I'm like, I don't know what to listen to. It is towards the end of this year. Mm-hmm. It's like, I either throw in the Koyo record or I would throw in this one. Yeah. So, those are my top five records. Um, you want to talk about some of the music you liked? Um, yeah, man. I mean, I, I've, I, uh, you know, I got rid of my fucking gigantic record collection a few years ago. Uh, and have recently, you know, really in the past year just started buying shit again and I'm buying records like differently. I'm, I've really only been buying like brand new stuff that's come out. So I have like a nice stack of like records that I think were really cool this year. And, uh, and then there are probably like another solid handful that, uh, I just either didn't get a chance to buy or, you know, like didn't buy it quick enough and they're, they're gone or, or like maybe didn't come out on vinyl. Right. But so there's like stuff that's just that I just have on streaming. That's like also favorites. Right. Um, so fuck, I don't even know where to start. Like, 
I don't know, man. The, so much good shit. There's like great uh, reissues that came out this year. Like not not reissued, but stuff that stuff that like the late '90s, early 2000s stuff was like CD only. Uh, so like, and the Antarctica full length came out on vinyl. Finally, uh, the first Armor for Sleep record came out. Dream to Make Believe. Uh, the year year of the rabbits. Ken from a uh, failure. It's his side project. The dudes from Shiner and a couple different bands. Like it's fucking straight up incredible that these three are like finally on vinyl. Like it's what like man, I wanted these. I wanted all three of these to come out on vinyl. Like originally, I, I've been waiting for fucking twenty years, and so like it's fucking insane that they came out this year. Um, so I'm I'm mad excited about that. Um, and then just you know like fucking uh. Yeah, I think I think it's just a really good year for like fucking alternative rock, you know, like fucking new teenage wrist that Koyo that we talked about, the Heavenward record, uh, so fucking good, uh, the new Wayside, uh, Wayside's a band from Australia that's their their full length that came out a few years ago, I'm spacing on the name of it, but I straight up like is I listen to it obsessively, I listen to it so fucking much, but they came out the new record this year called What Does Your Soul Look Like. And uh, it's produced by Will Yip, who did, like, uh, Title Fight and all those kind of bands. Um, and, uh, yeah, it fucking it rules. Um, there's, like, some great grindcore records that came out this year, like Wound Man, Brain Tourniquet. They're they're from this year, right? I, I think so. Am I crazy? I don't know. I'm, well, I'm, was it Brain? Yeah, it was Brain Tourniquet. Yeah. Or was it Minor Race? I can't remember. Yeah, there's some good, like, hardcore uh, some good hardcore and punk bands came out this year, like Meat House, The Hell, uh, Laughing Corpse, and there's just so much good shit, man. Like when when people people are just like, oh, music isn't good anymore. Like you're fucking not paying attention. No, music is great, dude. It's, it's crazy, man. It's so good. I mean, like, and and a lot of this stuff is like bands that are kind of like rehashing older sounds, but like with like today's technology and just like that knowledge of the past, you know, X amount, you know, you might be ripping off a band that came out 20 years ago, but like there's been 20 other years of fucking like musical knowledge and, and technology is like, so all these like Koyo may sound like, you know, you could just be like, yeah, sure. It's just fucking early two thousands emo pop punk, but like, it's so much better than that. No. And I agree on that because it's just like, The the thing about all those records is just like the production's different. Yeah. And like, you know, the it's also it's a gift and a curse because there's bands on record have sound way better than they ever have. Yeah. The curse is there's a few of those bands that can't replicate that live and they mm-hmm. kind of disappointing. That's but, why live music sucks and you should never go see live music. That's true. It's so annoying. <laughs> just making sure your cat didn't like dive bomb <laughs> off of me. Um, it was stage dive. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah man for music shit that's I I think I've I think I've made my piece yeah man lots of great stuff this year fucking you know it's hard to keep up yeah um next I'm gonna do what I traditionally do and this was difficult I almost wasn't going to do it this year and at one point we talked about you were gonna do your top five Criterion releases and I was gonna do my five top five records but. I sat down and figured out my favorite Blu-ray releases of this year. And there's things on here that I think were extraordinary, like, works of, like, physical media. There's that Michael J. Murphy box set that I had, but I ended up selling it because it's, like, after I watched them, like, I'm never going to watch these again. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather put it back out in the world and have someone that's going to, like, really enjoy it and want to collect it, have it. Right on. 
And there's also the um, Mondo Macabro did a Bollywood horror box set, which, again, extraordinary, but I sold it because I'm just not going to watch those movies again. So for this list, I try to put things that I bought that aren't going to leave my collection. Number five, Redneck Zombies, the best release of the year because we're on it. Yes. Yeah. So cool. <laughs> I mean. So it, fucking cool. I mean, it. I, I'm going to be biased. Yeah, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, number four for me was A Blade in the Dark from Vinegar Syndrome because not only did they have the theatrical cut, they had like an extended director's cut. They had multiple versions of it. They did a really extraordinary job. Well, might not be the greatest Giallo movie ever made, but it's cool. And like, you know, they went the extra mile and a half for it. I'm actually going to throw Criterion on here and like, you know, Criterion doesn't load things up with extras, whatever. But like I was really, there's two Criterion titles I was happy to see finally come out on the collection. Um, the other one that I didn't put on my list cause I haven't bought it yet, which is targets. But the one I had to get, which is because it's my favorite Martin Scorsese movies after hours. Yeah. So that I'm just happy in a world that that comes out on Blu-ray and people were mad stoked for it. Hell yeah. And I know, I think Criterion's been getting deep in that Scorsese pocket because they also did Mean Streets. And I think um, Alice doesn't live here anymore, which is another great underrated Scorsese movie. probably going to be following suit at some point. Cool. Uh, my number two, and I'm going to say this because I haven't had a chance to watch it, but just because of the love and care that went behind it. And the reason why I haven't watched it is, one, I don't have a um, Ultra HD player or an all-region player. So I can't play it, but I bought it because I missed the Dawn of the Dead when they did. I got the Second Sight Martin. And the things I've seen, it looks incredible. It's on my shelf. One of these days, I'm either going to get all region players so I can watch the Blu-ray or get Ultra HD so I can, you know, watch that. But, you know, I, I end up getting it because, like, who the fuck knows when this will actually get a U.S. legit release. And I'll probably end up going and getting one of those, like, not-so-collectible Dawn of the Dead that they put out, but you know, I, I you know I know homies from Severn Films worked on a lot of the featurettes on it, as they did for the Dawn of the Dead, and you know it, Martin's my favorite Romero movie, mm-hmm. so I'm just happy to see it in any format that exists, and you know maybe one day U.S. rights get cleared up. That's why I didn't get Dawn of the Dead. It's like oh, well, eventually someone's gonna figure this out. Yeah, and I'm just not gonna hold my breath anymore. Now my number one Blu-ray release. It's kind of unfair because it really hasn't come out yet, but, you know, still waiting to get my copy. But it would really be Delamorte Delamore from Severn. That thing is stacked between the featurettes, the new restoration, which I premiered at Beyond Fest. Like, you know, there's not too many, like, newer, and what I mean newer titles from the last 30 years, like the 90s or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's not many, too many, like, you know, true five-star bangers from like the heyday of Italian cinema that hasn't had a Blu-ray release yet. Yeah. And this was one of those that was in that weird limbo and shout out to Severn because they got it out. And honestly, they, out of all the Blu-ray labels, and I know everyone's done really good work, but like the stuff they put out, like the Emanuel box set, incredible work. Um, If I have to pick something that like they, you know, did I have physically like the psychic or, Nightmares in a Damaged Brain, like Ultra HD and Blu-ray releases are fucking incredible. Like, Nightmares never looked that good. Mm-hmm. I used to have the old Code Red Blu-ray. And, like, God, that, that fucking new one smokes it. And the Psychic looks incredible. They've just been doing stellar work. And, like, all that suave stuff that's coming out on Blu-ray. And, you know, 
I think Private Crimes also came out this year, which, you know, not really the most stacked feature-wise, mm-hmm. but it's incredible that they put in the work, and it's a really nice set, so shout out to Severn. Right on. But yeah, shout out to Severn. They've been knocking out of the park for the last several years, and like, you know, yeah, I work a lot with them, and I, there might be a bias, but like, dude, when you're putting out Delamorte Delamore on Ultra HD and Blu-ray... And just, you know, getting Rupert Everett and fucking Anna Fulci and, like, McKelly Suave on those featurettes. Yeah. Like, really putting in and grinding the work. And, like, there's things that haven't even come out yet. They have a new restoration opera that's been playing theatrically around town on DCP. Mm-hmm. And that's their new restoration. So, they got a lot of things coming out next year, too. All right, Nick, do you have any Blu-ray releases, Criterions, you want to talk about? Yeah. Uh, Criterion just did The Others. I was really stoked to see that come out. Uh, and probably my favorite criterion of the year. Um, I, I mean, I've bought so many this year, right. But like, I've been excited about a couple of the new ones. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's like one every month and there's one in each batch that I'm like, that's cool. Uh, but I don't necessarily buy them. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's rad that they did after hours and targets, but I don't have them yet. Um, but my favorite, uh, is the, uh, last ceremony that came out, which is, uh, it's a sick one. Um, definitely a big influence on Parasite, you know, I don't know, definitely, I just, I would really recommend just like fucking go into it blind and just check out this awesome film. Um, is it, uh, it's Chabrol? Oh, Claude Chabrol. Yeah. Yeah. And it was one of the later ones in his filmography. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Like one of the, one of the last ones. Yeah. Cause I know, um, Arrow, like what's happening with Claude Chabrol is like a lot of people put out like that. There's a it's kind of funny because like even back in DVD, there was a one box that would come out mm-hmm. and then there was always supposed to be a part two, but part two never would come out. Gotcha. Arrow finally put out the part two oh, to no the kidding. part one. So, I mean, cool. he's got a hell of a filmography and it's just like, it's just taking forever for like that stuff to come out. So I don't know. Kind of cool that, that like that one snuck out. But I, I just grabbed the, uh, the sick myself, uh, Blu-ray that came out on vinegar syndrome recently. I think it's vinegar syndrome and not utopia. One of the, uh, yeah, I think, labels. I think Utopia did the theatrical run on it or something like that. Yes, I I think that's the um that's the bumper that pops up before it starts for sure. I, I think like Vinegar Syndrome has one of those I it's one of their sub labels. It's not the mm-hmm. actual Vinegar Syndrome, but it's like they have Vinegar Syndrome U. They have like four hundred different fucking cool. like sub labels within the label besides all the partner videos. Like it's the same as Scary of Sixty First was kind of mm-hmm. the same thing. But. Totally. Yeah, no, the um the the packaging is is quite similar. Um and yeah, it comes with a, a great essay by Sabina Stent, friend of the pod. Yeah. And uh and there's a video essay by uh Sam Deegan who did that legacy of uh World War Two in Art House Cinema book uh a year or two ago. Um yeah, just a really great release for sure. Uh but again, just haven't been buying like the brand new thing that's coming out and just kind of buying all the other stuff that's already existed for a while. I mean, it's, so I don't know. I mean, I'm not been going too crazy getting new stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like, if, if it feels like it's essential, it, my new Blu-ray rule. And we talked about this on the Blu-ray burnout podcast and probably several times after that is like my new rule is like, I'm not going to buy something and put it in my collection unless I plan on watching it more than once yeah. within five years. And if it's not going to be that, then it's just like, I'm not going to buy it because then I'm just going to take it to Amoeba and sell it and they're going to think I'm suicidal again or something. Right. The amount of times I've took physical media, like the last two times, and that makes me not want to go back now because like, 
It's like, wow, you, are you what? okay? Yeah, <laughs> it's really been like that. It's like, dog, give me that fucking check. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm going to buy a gun. <laughs> no, <laughs> they probably think that they're like, how do we price this out? So <laughs> we'll take your stuff, but no, it's. I mean, it, I've just, I don't know. I as much as I love records and Blu-rays and all that stuff, and I know this is rehashing on something we already talked about. It's just like I, I'm just at the point. It's like I'm only going to own something and I actually give a shit to own it. Yeah. And not just because, oh, look, I can show you this thing on my shelf. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Uh, get any more Blu-rays? Nah, that's a bit. That's it. All right, so I'm going to... But move. I... Oh, go ahead. All right, so my top three uh, stand-up comedy specials of the year. We got Jeffrey Asmus, The Only Funny White Man. That's my number one, straight up. Uh, number two, I'm going Shane Gillis with that new Netflix special. And then, uh, and then three, I'm going Nick Mullen. I think it's called Year of the Dragon. It just dropped like a week or two ago. Top three comedy specials of the year. There's a bunch of other great ones for sure. Jordan Jensen. I mean, that's that could have easily been in the top three. Maybe that maybe that edges uh, Nick Mullen out. Sorry, Nick. There you go. Um, but yeah, there's so much good comedy this year. It's fucking dude. It's crazy. And a lot of this shit is um, like the Nick Mullen, Jordan Jensen, and the Jeffrey Asmus. All three are just like self-released on YouTube. Uh, which is something that a lot of comedians are doing these days. And it's not just because they're not, I mean, like it's, it's almost, uh, you know, it used to be like HBO or comedy central or whatever, but now nowadays it's almost like your YouTube until fucking Netflix pays you a million dollars and that's it. Uh, There's like almost no in between. Well, it's the way like those premium channels have changed like this year. I mean, not that many listeners are going to care, but box like boxing is finally coming to an end on Showtime. Hmm. And HBO's boxing happened maybe three or four years ago, too. Okay. Which were staples yeah, yeah. of those. And it's just like, I think the comedy special has kind of gone that way, too. Mm-hmm. And now I think most of what's on, you know, the streamers now is like they're doing, like, you know, their TV series. And that's really it. Yeah. But Netflix, I mean, they're getting to do that. Netflix is a joke thing here again. Yeah. What they've done in the last few years. And they're uh, you know, good for them, man. I mean, I, I appreciate it. Not you know not a, not every comedian that does shit for Netflix is good. That's for goddamn sure. But like, I appreciate them you know throwing their fucking hat into the ring and and trying to uh, raise awareness to the some a few of the good comedians around. I mean, there's there's a few good Netflix specials out right now. You know, I think with Netflix, where it, regardless of its film or comedy specials or TV, or mm-hmm. whatever, they're just trying to get tapped in at all some of that uh some of the netflix is a joke uh shows are actually gonna be happening at the egyptian yeah i saw that fucking awesome man i think they're gonna be there the largo like yeah. they're just gonna be all over yeah. fucking town shane but, gillis is at the greek it's already sold out yeah, that's a big fucking venue it's cool i saw him at the comedy store a while back I'm, i'll be all right yeah i mean i don't know if i want to see a comedy nah, at I don't, the greek <laughs> i i mean yeah right like i feel like they had like larry david well no no larry david was at the hollywood bowl it's, it's weird, man. Like, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I can't really speak on it because I'm just haven't gone to it, but like seeing music at the bowl is one thing, but like here, I don't know when people are talking in between songs to the crowd, I'm sorry. I didn't hear a fucking word you said. Maybe, the, you know, maybe the sound is just different when it's been EQ'd for just speaking. Right. But like fucking a man, it just, you know, and, and it just doesn't, um, there's something about being in like an intimate room watching comedy. Like I'm not being on it even in like a, a, a larger theater. I mean, I it's, I, it's the more intimate setting that like really where the jokes like really land. 
I agree with that. I've never been to a big comedy. I don't. I think I don't think I've ever been to a comedy show. Really. Yeah. Actually, no, I have. Like, um, um, Josh Adam Myers, who I went to college with, who's now a pretty yeah big, well-known comedian. Like, he was doing. He had his um goddamn comedy jam. He still does it. I know yeah. he still does it, but he had a proto version of it that I saw at some weird like venue off a of Schrader when I first moved out there and just kind of hung out and checked it out. So I, I have been to a comedy show, Seriously? but I, but I haven't been to any of the, the staples of it, but like, I just remember I, and I brought this up before I'm pretty sure about how Steve Martin said the reason why he stopped doing stand up comedy is because he got to the point that he's playing stadiums. Yeah. And it's just like, it's hard to play that room. You can't even see the arrow through his head from that far back. No, you can't even, even <laughs> when they have like the multiple screens. And I mean, at the time they didn't have fucking multiple screens. Yeah. You can't even tell he's dressed like King Tut from in the back. <laughs> Just a little speck, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, so you got any more? Because I don't have any comedy specials. Like, um, you're more the comedy guy. Yeah. Uh, like there's just what else? What else is there? What kind of what other arts are there? I don't know. I was gonna. Hey, talk- your favorite painting of the year? Shit, I don't know. Actually, well, I, know, I, actually, I know we actually, don't have a favorite book of the year, motherfucker. I know. I will say my favorite paintings of the year is the my girlfriend Leslie just completed her like astrological series. She's actually a mixed bar, mixed media artist. She's done art shows and sold her art and done really well. And she just finished the series. She's just in the process of like you know mounting all the art mm-hmm. and then just finding the right gallery to go. She's trying to get me to do like an art show for my collages too. Cool. So we'll yeah, see. man. So but, jump into it. So I'm gonna just say she's my favorite painter, and my favorite painter of the year. There you my go. favorite paintings. So there. <laughs> so, so there. <laughs> so there. Yeah, I'm biased. I don't give a fuck anyway. Um. Yeah, man. Lots of good year. There's been great movies that came out this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you what my number one movie of the year is, and you probably, you've seen more than I have. There's a couple more that I'm going to go see, but it, there, there's something in this movie that tells me that I may see another movie that's going to be damn good, but it's not going to beat it, which is May, December fucking Todd Haynes. So you texted me something that I had already said out loud. This is, this is 2023's tar. It is. I mean, it might not be exact, but there's enough in there of like, you know, the, I don't want to say cancel culture angle, but like, you know. There there are parallels, but also just speaking on it being the best film of the year. Yeah. You know, Tar yeah. was, I'm sorry. Tar, tar You was, can't fucking dispute it. Tar was the best movie of last tar, year. Tar was undisputed. And I know it didn't <laughs> win the awards that it should have, but like Tar, Tar is going to be a movie that people are going to go back to in like 10 years. Fuck yeah. And May December is going to be another one of those. And I know it's on Netflix, but like, it's a uh, not to not to besmirch the good name of Netflix, of course. Yeah. But this is actually I I just want to throw out there this is a film that Netflix uh, purchased after seeing it at a con. Yeah, and it's I mean there there's a certain aesthetic to some of those Netflix produced movies. Yeah, that's kind of what I mean. Is just you yeah. know it's not a Netflix production. It it was bought afterwards, and um, I'm I'm glad they've they've been able to bring it to the greater public who won't understand it. I mean, it, I mean, basically I'm just saying that like, if your film, if your name is Todd and you make films, you have a good chance. The Todd's the, man. Yeah. The Todd's. Yeah. Todd no, Saldas, get on that, man. You can have 2024, man, triple threat, dude. We need a new, uh, Todd Salon's movie. Absolutely, yeah. man. Like I, I'm not even joking. It's <laughs> like, you know, Todd field, Todd Haynes. I mean, Todd Haynes. Man, that's a, wow. I, I hadn't even thought I hadn't even thought to put 
Todd Sloan's in that equation, but now you just kind of blew my mind a little bit. I mean, he's like, he's due. That's three of my favorite directors right there. Yeah, and he's due. Like, fucking fuck. Todd Haynes has always made great movies, like, you know, Carol, but you can go back to Safe. Man, Safe is so fucking good. You, you, and if you ever get a chance to see um, Superstar, the Karen Carpenter story, mm-hmm. it's, you know, the real Barbie movie. I, I know that uh, there's something to do with, like, rights or something. That It's, it's all the music. So, uh... Is that, I wonder if I could just find it to watch on YouTube or it, something. You if know? you, it's probably. I don't know if it's on YouTube because yeah. of the Carpenter music would probably get flagged. Oh, true. Yeah, but Internet Archive or something like that would okay. probably have a copy. Yeah, like yeah. I know it's it played somewhere this year. Like it was a secret screening, and he was there and he talked about it. Oh, sick! But like Todd, ain't, like he's always made great fucking movies, and like this is no exception. And it's like it's so fucking good because it's like you know. You got Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman playing two of the worst fucking human beings Mm -hmm. to ever be alive in two different ways. And just like, oh my God, it is fucking... You've got a grown man playing a 12-year-old boy. Yeah. Well, he was... Really, like, like, uh, (laughs) yeah, it's just... It, it says it says a lot about like society and like you know the fact that it takes place in Savannah, Georgia. Savannah is one of the most beautiful places. I haven't been there in like probably fucking twenty years. Mm-hmm. I really want to go back because you know it's just a beautiful place to visit, haunted town, all that. You yeah. know, just like the right amount of Southern Gothic. So it's like it it was a nice like backdrop to this and just like man, what a fucking movie. That's yeah. all I can say, but. I know you've seen some other newer movies that might be up there, but you you pretty much feel like this is your number one. I mean, one. this is absolutely my number one. I, I saw Poor Things, and I really, 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 really liked it. I, in a way, I kind of don't even know what the fuck to make of it. Like, it's just... I, I'm so glad I went in, like, so just blind. And it was... It, it kicked my ass. Uh, the Holdovers is great. It's just, like... It's just really good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just nice. It's a it's a throwback to like, remember when a film could just be good? Well, I, <laughs> I mean, I've kind of hinted at this. We've talked about, and I think it might have just been other conversations or whatever. But I think we're getting ready for the indie boom again, mm-hmm. and maybe not just. I don't mean in a sense, but like more like maybe the the lost art of the five to fifty million dollar like you know drama like adult movies mm-hmm. are on the way back because like I think superhero movies have just burned itself out. Yeah. And you know, I people can say things about Netflix, but like they do put money in that kind of shit. Yeah. It's like I might not give a shit about marriage story, but like mm-hmm. I'm kinda glad it exists. Okay. Because like it's basically giving opportunities to like that le- you know, it's like that's if stuff like that is, then you have people like, you know, the John Waters or David Lynch type filmmakers could have their opening in because like, you know, I think just smaller, more intimate, more like, you know, good movies, because like if anything is if our business has told us anything that we work in, which is primarily repertory cinema, yeah. is that that shit's bigger than ever. And I think people would really, really, really get into and have shown they want to get into like you know, independent movies, foreign films again. Like, you know, Drive My Car was a fucking big hit. Yeah. EO was a big hit. So I think, like, the taste is turning. I think, I don't know if it's going to be, like, another, like, 70s boom, like, you know, American New Wave type of thing. But I think we're due. Yeah. It might be closer to, like, the 90s indie boom of, like, you know, Tarantino and Coens and, like, Soderbergh and stuff like that. I know all those. I'll take it. I mean, I know some of those filmmakers started, like, in the 80s, but, like, you know, the actual big indie boom. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So I'm actually excited for new films again, just oh, overall. Yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, this is the first year where I've seen like trailers for 10 things where I'm like, I'm excited to see that. Yeah. Even if I don't make it to a theater, I want to see it still. Totally. And like, you know, even things like, you know, Thanksgiving, it's like I had my problems with it, but I think it was good. And it's a step above a lot of shit that's been coming up yeah. or coming out. Like I liked air. I know I saw it on Amazon and like, it's not reinventing the wheel, but Affleck's a good director. And it was just like the kind of like nice story about how Michael Jordan made billions of dollars from wearing Nikes. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I, I think that's the film is turning. And I think people being interested in repertory cinema. And I also think it's going to affect streamers because I don't have the numbers, but I'm curious to see how Criterion subscribers lines up to something like Netflix or Hulu. I know it won't be exactly close, but I think they have good numbers. Yeah. Most definitely. And, uh, you know, people that have Canopy subscriptions because they have library cards. Mm -hmm. They have, like, Criterion and Art House and, like, that kind of stuff. And there's, like, you know, Amazon Prime has a ton of, like, you know, 80s, 90s. Like a good mix of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might have to dig a little bit to find shit, but like, I don't know. I think things are changing, and I think adult. And I don't, I don't like using the word adult, but like movies made with a soul that are just good. Yeah. Like regardless of what the plot is, they're just a fucking good movie is coming back. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's my. If I pick my most hopeful moment of 2023, it's that. Okay. So agreed. Um, agreed. You got any more lists? No, I think I'm good, man. All right, I got one more list here, and then we'll stop the listing. So I figured, you know, originally at one point when I wasn't going to do a Blu-ray list, I was like, maybe I should just talk about my favorite screenings I got to do this year. I'm actually listing this as my favorite Void events of 2023 because some things are more tied together than others. So I did six, although I I guess maybe these are tied at number five. Uh, Tied at 5A and 5B. First one is Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 at the Music Box with Caroline Williams in person um, with Jeremy Wagner from Broken Hope and the homie Will Morris. Right on. What a fucking fun screening do on a Thursday night in Chicago. 500 plus people. It was fucking great. Hell yeah. And, you know, it's like, it's cool to just like, you know, I love LA and I love doing screenings here, but it's like kind of cool to go someplace else and just like be in a place where like, yeah, they get guests from time to time, but like, you know, being able to do an event like that and doing yeah. it well. So shout out to Jeremy. Cause like he's the one that made that happen, but that was fucking cool shit. Right. On. Uh, my other five is, um, it was my month of March that I did at the lost fields three. I did a series called March movie madness. And is basically, I was, cause the biggest Luna tribute was happening that month. And I got offered to do anguish. Mm-hmm. So I basically made a series around anguish and movie movie movies set at movie theaters. Right on. So I did matinee, popcorn, anguish, and targets. Mm-hmm. Did them all in thirty five, and I think in I sold out every single one of those screenings in March at the Lost Fields three. Right on. Joe Dante came out for matinee, director of matinee. Um, Jill Sholin, star of popcorn, came out for that, and you know it was a banger of a month, and it was like. I'd say this year, Lost Fields 3 was, you know, my best year. And I've said that a bunch of times. And although it hasn't happened yet, like my Monday screening of Repo Man sold out. So I think it sold out maybe 21 or 22 out of the 50 shows I did this year at Lost Fields 3. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, pretty good. Yeah. You know, there was some down moments. But that's that's natural ebb and flow. You're not always going to catch the audience at the right time for something. But 
I don't know. Uh, my fourth favorite event I did this year was the Seven Deadly Sins Marathon down there for the seven years of Cinematic Void. Um, you know, it's a weird marathon. Deanna Rooney knocked it out of the park by doing like six out of the seven movies, doing weird skits. Yeah. And you projected some of that, right? I did. You projected the back half, the the best half, as it were, which was like Silent Rage, Joysticks, and uh, Burial Ground. Totally. So, I don't know. It was, it was fun, and, like, it was one of the few marathons I've been to where, like, the audience didn't really drop off that much. Mm-hmm. It pretty much stayed the same all the way through, and that was really cool. So, yeah, that was one of my favorite events. Uh, number three is one I just did, which is that Neon Maniac screening. Hell because yeah. this is the second time I've done it, show that movie. Um, but this time I had got to do a Q&A, and it was just, like, you know, got to see what a packed house, and a lot of people hadn't seen it, and just, like, People got into it. It was a really, really fucking fun screening. My number two, and this, you know, might be number one, but I'm gonna do it as number two, which is January Giallo 2023 in general. You know, it got to go to the Coolidge, the Music Box, see Film Center in Denver, and kind of got to close things out by doing I Know Who Killed Me Q and A with Chris Severson, who was the you know the director. Got to be in a room where Lindsay Lohan said, I know who killed me and watched the audience erupt. <laughs> but, you know, there was a lot of things in January, Giallo 2023. There was that um, that um, LPP fucking Technicolor um, Lizard and Women's Skin print mm-hmm. that we played, that we kicked off with, which was just such a beautiful fucking thing. Like, one of the best things I got to see in the theater. And I watched it twice in a day. Hell yeah. Because I went down for the tech check and watched it all the way through and then watched it again. So, I mean, you know, I got to hang out with lots of cool people like Teresa, Keith, Will, Mark, you know. It was, I don't know. I, you know, I love doing January Giallo. I'm glad it's now across the country. And it's really cool just to see how big it's gotten. Mm-hmm. And just being able to experience around town and just, you know, doing cool shit with it here in L.A. And my number one screening, because this one meant a lot to me for it to sell out. Because one, it was part of Beyond Fest. And two... There was no guest, even though I tried like hell to make something happen with that. But and at the end, it was being able to present the world premiere of Severin Films' new 4K restoration of Della Morte, Della Morte at the Arrow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just getting to introduce an audience like most of the people in that room had not seen it and watching them just fall in the sink with it, laughing at the humor, getting scared when they need to get scared, just just connecting with the movie Mm -hmm. and that was just you know that's why you know i screen things yeah you want to present them audience and you want people to dig them and like i still think my favorite letterbox review was someone wrote tim burton you are nothing (laughs) which hilarious so that's i think we're all listed out here so so that's going to wrap up the final podcast of 2023 here on the cinematic void podcast nick it's been it's been a year as it were do you have anything been, to say? It's been really real. It's been really real. So, I don't know. See you all in 2024. Until next time, see you in the void. Great New Year's resolutions. Buy a VCR I can really program. Ditch the 8-track tape player. Save at Circuit City's huge New Year's Day sale. Wednesday, 10 to 6. Be there.